Welcome to the Sisters of Industry podcast with hosts Laura Brown and Jen Williams, where the goal is to help you work harder, lean smarter, and live life better. Where one bloodline and different industry experiences will provide new insight to make you more effective at work and play. Our mistakes will help all of us laugh and learn. Get ready to lean in, lean out, and possibly snort coffee out your nose as they talk about all things business, leadership, and life. Let's go. I'm Jen, and I'm the sister you'll most commonly find on Instagram. I'm Laura, the corporate sister who is absolutely forced to use LinkedIn. On today's episode, we're talking about using technology in ways that work for us and not against us. Today's episode is kicking off a series that we're going to do on the subject of technology because this is a deep, deep well that we can dig from that impacts all of us in our day-to-day life. Again, does not matter what industry you're in, technology is a really big deal. So the most recommended book in 2019, and that's a non-scientific thought there, I mean the most recommended book to me and to those in my immediate circle, happened to be a book called Digital Minimalism, Choosing a Focused Life in a Noisy World by Cal Newport. I think the reason this book caught a lot of traction is because this is such a hot topic. And there's lots of books that are out there about it. But I think Cal Newport managed to capture something that didn't just feel like another examination of the subject. But he dug into the fact that technology can be a gift. We just have to use to learn it well. And so, Laura, as we begin this conversation, you and I both read this book over the summer and we had lots of conversation around it. Why do you think so many of us are desperate for a digital detox, a digital declutter, whatever you want to call it? Why is it that the topic of digital minimalism is something that we're all interested in talking about? I have to stop texting long enough to answer this question. Give me a moment. (laughs) So I'm flippant, I crack a joke, but seriously, I think the number one reason for me is that technology has taken over without us even recognizing it. Mm -hmm. I am blown away having read this book about all the ways that I've allowed technology into my life without any recognition or control of it. And it's really kind of crazy, right? Like, so let's compare it to dieting. If you are dieting or trying to watch your weight, things I am not good at personally, but I hear people do this. Um, (laughs) You monitor what foods you eat, what you allow into your body, um, and make conscious choices. One of the things that's happened to us as a society, and this is a generalism with technology, is that it just keeps coming in and growing and growing and growing and consuming us. And we've not ever paused or stopped to say, do I want it there? Do I need it there? Is this productive and helpful to me? Technology's just taken over. Suddenly you look around and we have, whether it's Google items or Amazon Echo Dot items, whatever technology might be in your house, we have things 
all through our house that are turning our lights on and off and listening to the things we want to buy or not buy. Um, we have 875,000 apps on our phone, and we don't even know what two-thirds of them do. Um, we are communicating via text with people so rapidly that we're losing track of which text stream we're in and who we responded to. And then we end up accidentally telling our doctor what we needed to tell our dentist um, <laughs> or worse yet, our boss, what we needed to tell our doctor. Right. Like it's so confusing. Yeah. Um, so I think this entire concept was great because at least for me and for some of my friends that I know have also read the book and taken it in, it made me go, whoa. What have I allowed to happen in my life completely unconsciously? Yeah, and I think you hit on something that Cal Newport talked about, which is that issue of clutter, right? The reason we feel this isn't because we want to get rid of technology. There's a lot of ways technology is enhancing our lives, but it has cluttered because it's just streamed in so fast and so furious, and we add the next app before even asking whether we really need it or what purpose it's going to serve. And so one of the things I loved about the book is that Cal Newport immediately delineated between a digital detox and a digital declutter. Because one of the, the popular responses in our time to this you know, crazy world of, oh my goodness, technology's taken over my life, is the whole, well, we'll just detox, you know, just like all the, you brought up diet fads and everything else, you know, we'll just, we'll just get rid of all of it and reprogram our brains again. The problem is that's always a limited solution because what happens is, you know, we do the 30-day detox where we get off of social media or, you know, we try to not keep our phones in the same room as us at all hours of the day and night or we do things like that but it's only a matter of time before they creep back in and so he talked about a more intentional process of a digital declutter where we start asking ourselves the question of what value does this piece of technology have in and for my life and so I, I do there's so much here and we're going to we're going to dig into it in the next few weeks. But Laura, I am curious for you, knowing that we both did this declutter process as opposed to a detox, what are some of the changes that you found yourself making after reading the book and knowing that we are several months removed from having done that? How has it worked out for you? So I've had varying results from it but I've learned from everything. I've not been in it as intentional with this as I probably should have been and sometime would like to actually step back and be very intentional with a declutter. Um, but one of the things that I found was that I, I kept asking myself the question, why? Why do I have this? Why am I using this? What benefit am I gaining? Mm -hmm. And as a result, I found out that, for example, I'm getting push notifications from apps that I haven't used in months. And while it might be, oh, well, you just dismiss them and ignore them, that's taking brain space and distracting me. And it's just silliness, right? Mm -hmm. um, so some of that, just clearing out noise that was unnecessary, and instead of continuing to dismiss the same thing every day and saying, I'm getting rid of this, was really game-changing for me and brought down the distraction of the constant notifications in our world. The other thing that I saw really happen was becoming more conscious just of my phone usage in general. And in this case, I'm, I'm taking my technology viewpoint and going very specifically to my phone quickly. Um, 
I became much more conscious of how often it's in my hand by my side um, and that I couldn't let time pass without double checking it and being in contact. Mm -hmm. So it's been really good for me. I have found that I've had more time to read and get into books because I'm not distracted by I'm halfway through a chapter and I get a text and I can't get myself into the book. Things like that are going much better for me. Um, there, of course, is this negative impact that I should have prepared for. You do need to warn your family and friends when you are entering this <laughs> zone because I have some really hilarious examples of people thinking that something was wrong because I, quote, disappeared. P.S. That was for three hours, not for three days. But we live in a world where people we've created this instantaneous ex expectation. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is by removing the instantaneous expectation, the, the quality of the conversations that we do have gets better. We stop bothering each other with minutia or maybe even the 47 texts to work out something very easy suddenly becomes two texts. Hey, it's two o'clock now. Do you want to meet at point A or point B? Instead of 87 texts over three hours saying, here's what I'm doing now. I'm still on track for two o'clock. Um, so it, very, very subtle changes. Of course, I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge, even though I think most people would, that I substantially changed my social media usage. I deleted um, some social media apps directly from my phone so that I cannot get on them easily and just scroll them. Mm -hmm. um, and even within social media, I took a concept that Cal Newport talked about, which is asking why and how you use some of them. And he uses the term curating within, looking and saying, how do I use this? How do I use it more specifically? So for example, I will pick on Facebook. Mm -hmm. I no longer use Facebook as a place where I go and scroll just to see what's happening with every person I have ever met in my life um, going by me on the screen along with 8,000 ads. Um, Facebook is now where I go to get very specific updates on events or groups that my kids are in, um, maybe that small group Bible study that posts prayer requests, that kind of thing. And, I, and I've taken away um, the ability to just let it be mindless scrolling, and I'm using it productively. And that was a huge thing for me, too. Right. How about you, Jen? No, that's good. And I think that um, the immediate one I would go to is the social media piece. I did take all of the social media apps, with the exception of Instagram, <laughs> had to hold on to something off of my phone. And that made a big difference. Facebook and Twitter went away. And in the absence of having them on my phone, I realized that I very, very infrequently go to them on a desktop. So I was able to weed out what I was actually using it, what I thought I was accomplishing it. And so those were some of the biggest things that changed for me and have remained. The other one was how conscious I am about my email. So particularly now in the in the work realm, I only open my email at specific times of the day. I don't let it be a tab that's constantly open. And I practice a zero inbox policy with that. And so there's a lot more there that I won't go into. But those were some big things with me. And I think the underlying takeaway for both of those things for me was not allowing connection to replace conversation. And so technology makes all of these touches and connection points 
so much more available. And that's great because we both know I'm all about being better together. And so I, I want everybody to be connected. I want lots of touch points, um, I, you know, in the land of extrovert, introvert and being people with different size Lego pieces. You know, we all have a different number of connectors. I, I'm one of those bottom pieces. I like having lots of connections. However, there is a difference between connection and conversation. And I had allowed technology to push my connection over the edge to where I wasn't truly connecting with anyone. And it was also taking some value away from my work because I was moving so quickly between different connection points and different functional pieces that I wasn't engaging anything to the level that I could. And so for me, that was the biggest, okay, if I don't apply a philosophy of value to my technology use, then suddenly the very value I was looking for in connecting with people more intentionally and more frequently ends up working against itself. And so for me, I'm just, I I keep playing around with that of how do I get back to a place where technology helps me have conversation and depth of relationship versus overriding it. And so there's no denying that technology can be challenging, but there are also, and I think we both already alluded to this, there's benefits to it when we use it the right way. And so in our next segment, we're going to talk about how to harness technology for good as a leader. We've all spent a lot of time bashing technology and airing our frustration, but we're going to get into how can it be a good thing and how do we harness the very best of it to do the work that matters. On this week's Real Talk segment, Jen and I want to spend a few minutes talking about technology. So today's episode is about how technology can work for us or it can work against us. And I got to tell you, as a parent of three teens, technology is kicking my butt. How's it going in your house, Jen? (laughs) Mine are a little younger, so I'm still fighting, fighting it, but probably not on as many battlefronts as you are. I never imagined a world where the find my phone feature would actually translate to find my child hiding in the basement under the ping pong table playing Fortnite feature. And I probably just even dated myself saying Fortnite because I was informed last night that that is no longer the cool game replacement to be determined. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Still cool in the younger kids segment. Okay, so apparently we're just aging out in my house. I'm not the only one aging out of things around here, apparently. (laughs) Um, So, like, the struggle with technology is so real. We could do an entire podcast slash therapy session on how to parent Mm -hmm. in the world of technology and to control technology. Um, We won't go there, but it really is just such a thing. I've never could have dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would be doing some of the things that I do today in order to control technology. Um, However, I do just have to tell really quickly this cool story about how when you go the opposite way, life can be so amazing. And I offer this as encouragement um, to others that are out there. This past summer, our family took a two-week vacation, something we had never, ever done before, and it was amazing, and went to the western part of the United States to visit national parks. Um, Guess what? No cell service in many of these parks. Take your kids Mm -hmm. to the Rocky Mountains and to Yellowstone and to Teton, and the signals are gone. 
And I thought that was going to be a horror show. I got to tell you, like, I was pleading with God to save me and deliver me from what that was going to mean with my children. (laughs) It ended up amazing. And I got to see a version, particularly of my 15-year-old, that I hadn't seen in a long time. So I offer some encouragement to everybody. First, the national parks are amazing. Go do that, please. Second, what a great way, in any way you can, to take some time, cut your kids off from technology and allow them to talk and to read and to be part of your family again. And then in full confession mode, let's be serious. I got cut off too. And that made a difference (laughs) because I also have an addiction to my work email and to my texting. So um, I know you missed me, Jen, for like 10 days that I was off the grid and we couldn't communicate on a regular basis, but so worth it with the kids. I did. I did. And I love that. And I love that y'all did that. And I think that's incredible. But to flip it back on a real talk to the value of technology, I did miss you. I think it's amazing that as sisters, we can live 10, 11 hours apart and be raising families and doing those things and still stay as connected as we are. And a lot of that is due to what technology has allowed us. The fact that we're doing this podcast, the fact that we can FaceTime with each other and do all kinds of cool things. And so I'll offer from a real talk standpoint, the things that I did not take off of my phone in the digital declutter included valuable things like the grocery app where I order my groceries and then pick them up because that is amazing. And the Chick-fil-A app did not go anywhere except for the fact that it moved up to the front page of my apps because Facebook and Twitter went away. And so I am all about the value that ordering my chicken strips via the app and having them appear at my table when I walk in the restaurant brings to my life. That's just some real talk. We want to be careful today not to be technology bashers. There are so many great places for technology in our lives. Um, Man, GPS. Life changing. I don't know how we lived without GPS, with the exception of Michael Scott and Dwight Schrute. I think GPS <laughs> keeps us all out of trouble, right? Great. And that takes two very, yeah, right? All good. So technology is amazing. I, I have some friends that are diabetics and know people with heart monitors, and the things that technology are doing to make their lives um, richer is unbelievable. So there are so many great things with technology. Um, that we could talk about all day. I do want to bring it into, as leaders, how is technology helping us? How is technology changing our businesses for the better? And I think a really cool place to start, Jen, would be for you to tell us a little bit about how technology is being used for good in the church. For sure. This is such a a huge topic, and I can't tell you the number of podcasts and conferences and meetings I've been in in the last few years around this topic because the landscape of church is changing with technology, just like everything else. But this is the one I can specifically speak to in in a culture where one of the main reasons we exist as a church is to bring people together. We're having to figure out what does that mean when together isn't always in person. There's a reality to the fact that technology has introduced a world where we can do things on demand. And so still being in a place where we're encouraging people to come to worship at specific times and days and locations runs counter to that. And so we're trying to balance these ideas of how do we how do we 
gather? How do we really have opportunity to grow as a community and also make the most of technology and meeting people where they are? And so this is such a big piece, but I would just offer as a couple of the the really good things we're seeing out of it is that we do get to meet people where they are, where it used to be that if someone did want to try out a church or come and check things out, they had to be willing to come in person. And if you didn't grow up in church or church is this new concept, or maybe you are just curious. And so you don't want to feel like you're buying in just by walking in the door. Technology has opened up this whole realm where people have the opportunity to check things out with a little bit more distance. And so like for our church, we do stream our worship live online. And so you can watch it live, but then you can also watch it, you know, later via YouTube or um, Facebook. And what we found is that people used to, you know, come into church and they were experiencing things for the first time. There is almost no one this is real. There is almost no one who comes to our church, meaning inside the doors of the portable location where we meet, so they're not even our doors, but there is no one who comes inside who hasn't already spent at least some time listening or watching to our worship online. So their first time there in person is never their first experience of worship at our church. And so that's been a really good thing. Now we're still balancing it with how that doesn't replace the idea of actually coming together. But the fact that people can check that out and build a comfort level is really, really helpful. We get to meet people in the places that they already are. The other good thing that we've seen is it allows us to continue the conversation. So every week I teach, I preach um, for anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes. And I get to follow up on those things just by putting things out there on Instagram, asking a follow-up question, letting it be something that we didn't just talk about and let impact us on one day, but that we truly carry into our week. The other big one, and and I'm talking a lot here because there's a lot, but the last one I'd mention is that for us, a lot of churches do small groups, um, gatherings during the week, whether you call them life groups, Bible studies, whatever you may call them. Um, we, we call them small groups, but they're gatherings where people can dig in and ask questions and do different studies, whether it's around parenting or marriage or whatever. And we've been able to start a couple virtual small groups. And while we love the fact that people are meeting in each other's homes and meeting in living rooms all over our community, we do have people that that's just simply not possible, whether work schedules or kids, or we even have some people in our church with special needs. Their ability to get into somebody else's home is not a given with the wheelchair that they use. And so it's actually been really cool to watch. We have one small group in particular that was started by someone in that exact circumstance. He's in a wheelchair, his ability to get in and out of homes, incredibly limited, his wife in the same situation, and instead of seeing that as a limitation, they used what is available to us via technology and online, and they actually started a community. And what was really amazing is the people who gathered around it, the single mom who works crazy hours but could jump on online, the people that were able to connect just because technology made it possible. So Jen, you offered us a lot of really cool insights and examples of how technology works well there. And what I'd like to do is offer for our listeners five guidelines, maybe a little bit, on how to really 
ask yourself and structure your technology use, ways that you can ask yourself questions and say, is my technology being used appropriately? And one of them plays right into what you were just talking about. And you just told us an example of how someone is able to build relationship and have conversation and meet with others in a way that they couldn't before by the use of technology. And the first rule or guideline that I'd ever offer up for good use of technology is that conversation is always better. Um, how is the technology helping you talk and converse with someone as opposed to separate yourself? So that rule can be seen in kind of two different ways. Is technology helping you converse? Are you using Skype so you can build community with people because you're homebound? That is an incredible use of technology and it's enabling conversation. The corollary or the second part of that could be is, am I using technology in a way that's stopping the conversation? Am I using email as a weapon um, instead of talking to someone? Mm. Am email I- as a weapon, that's, mm, sorry. Right for real, down. right? <laughs> too real? Maybe that was a little too real and I should have saved that for a real talk segment, but I watch it happen every day. Email mm -hmm. can become a weapon because you just created a one way not conversation. Um, by the use of that tool. So guideline number one for technology, you just told us about how it can be used well, is how is technology making the conversation better as you employ it? The other guideline that you hit on that I want to hit, and the second one that I offer for our group, is, is technology part of a repertoire that you are using, or, or is it the only act? And I'm going to relate this back to what you just said about attending church online. My church also streams worship services. A couple weeks ago, I was away on a girls weekend, and I loved that I was able to go to a coffee shop and put my earbuds in and participate in worship from a thousand miles away with my home church. Mm -hmm. However, that was part of a repertoire. My more standard way of being in church is entering the doors and participating in worship in person, whether it's in the main sanctuary or in the Satellite Life Center or attending small worship with my middle school aged kids. The point is I have a repertoire. Online church is not all that I am doing. I am still connecting with people in person because I am able to. Um, so I would ask you, even outside of the church context, are you using technology or a specific part of technology as a mixed group of ways that you're communicating and working, or is it the only thing you're using? Mm -hmm. Are you only reaching out to your staff via Skype? and not ever taking the time to walk into their office and look them eyeball to eyeball and have a genuine conversation? Um, are you only using text messages to coordinate dinner and plans with your spouse as opposed to having a phone call or a real conversation with them? Repertoire, would, not single act. Yeah, and I would add to that really quickly, the make, paying attention to am I only having the difficult conversations via these platforms because that'll be a really quick indicator of whether this is part of your overall repertoire of communication or your default for having the difficult conversations that you only want to be one way. Absolutely. And I think to the point about a difficult conversation or hard things to say, our third guideline for how to use technology well Ask yourself if the way you are using technology, if you are still you. 
Um, I think all of us could share that one of our frustrations with the use of technology is it's provided us ways to hide behind our words. You can say things and post things on social media that you may never look someone in the face and say. Mm -hmm. It's a reality. I watch that play out with my kids all the time. Um, where kids will post things on the internet that they never would even say in front of their parents or in front of their teachers, right? But they put it out there. So ask yourself on a regular basis, am I being me? Would I say in person what I'm saying in this email via this text on social media? Or am I using the technology to hide and be someone different? That's good. That's really good. So another area of technology, we can't get into it for a long time, Jen, but I just want to point it out. A lot of times we use technology to add pizzazz to our life, right? <laughs> so, um, and I'm going to, I'll pick on your realm a little, like you go to churches and how are we using our slides in church <laughs> to make the experience better? I love you all. And I love that I get slides to help me take my notes in church. I'm not knocking it at all. However, um, there are other contexts, heavens, in the corporate world. I often joke that instead of an MBA, you should go get an advanced PowerPoint license and you will be in good shape. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, even behind jokes, there's some truth, right? When you are using technology to add pizzazz, music before a presentation, the slides that are going with some material you're presenting, um, I think a lot of times it's really good to ask ourselves, is this enhancing my message or helping my message? Or is this distracting from my message? Or even maybe in terms of, and that distraction could come in two ways. Is it distracting as in my listeners can't hear me because they're so busy looking or taking in other types of media around me? The other thing would be, am I being distracted from creating a good solid message or outcome for my team because I'm so busy creating a really fancy chart? that will look good visually. So I wanna offer up as one of our other technology rules that when it comes to how you use it for the pizzazz or for the visuals, really ask yourself if you're creating unnecessary work and if you're adding value with how you're employing technology. Does that yeah. make sense, Jen? Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I would even, as a reference point for that, think about the number of TED Talks you may have listened to where they didn't employ any. Amen. And, and I mean, there's some really good ones that have employed it effectively as well. But I just think in today's day and age where we do rely so much on technology, it's one of the things I love about TED Talks is you see someone hone their ability to communicate and translate a message without needing to lean on something unnecessary. It's only what's useful in furthering the message. I think that's really great, Laura. To be clear, don't stop doing PowerPoint at church. I'm really good. I'm really good with it. I was picking on you. And I want to make sure that the pastoral and graphic arts team at my church hears me saying the same. Don't stop. I love it. I love it. Keep going. Jen, one more rule for digital that I think is valuable for our listeners to walk away from. And it reflects back on part one of our conversation today. And directly from Digital Detox, ask yourself, if the functions that you are using, whether it's the functions within an app or on your computer or your TV or the way you're using Alexa in your house, think about all the different ways technology surrounds you. Um, are they helping you or are they creating distractions and taking over your life in unhelpful ways? Ask yourself why on a regular basis. Why do I use this? Ask yourself what? What is this helping me to do? and actively 
curate your use of technology so that you are allowing technology to be for you and not against you. That's good. And I think what it all comes back to is we have to be conscious with our technology use instead of being, as Cal Newport would say, digital maximalists, where we just take it all with all of the various aspects of it. Instead, we should take it on, but with intentionality, in fact, ruthless intentionality to say, I'm going to use this, but I'm going to know why I'm using it. And I'm going to use it to the level that it is truly helpful and not beyond. And so I think those are some really helpful guidelines to get us there. So on today's memory lane moment, as we finish this introduction to the technology conversation, I remember a few years ago when the sanctioned biography of Steve Jobs came out. Um, There were lots of them, but this one was the one that he fully participated in. And I was reading and I got to the part early on as they were in the early construction phases of what Apple would be. And they talked about the Apple II GS. And I had to stop reading and laugh. I think I may have even called you. Laura, because I have a very strong memory of the day that our very first Apple II GS arrived in our home. And so, Laura, I was in second grade, so that means that you were in fifth grade. I am outing you again as the big sister. But, Laura, um, tell us what you remember from that day. It is so funny because I remember thinking, we are amazing with this (laughs) newfangled, fancy machine in our house. Um, seriously, like Mm -hmm. it was amazing. And now I reflect back on it and I giggle because there were multiple boxes involved for starters. I mean, my latest MacBook appeared at my house. It could have been a letter from the government. I, it was such a small little thin box. Right. And, and, but when we got this Apple II GS, I remember going to a store. So there's ha 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 number one, right? (laughs) We went to a store that had computer equipment, and I remember watching as our parents very carefully and deliberately worked with the salesperson and selected this new state-of-the-art computer that, of course, had both fun and academic um, features that would be good to have in our household. And we purchased this computer I know it was a lot of money for our mom and dad in that day and age, but they were so excited to be able to provide us with something so cutting edge in our house and so exciting. Oh, yeah. And and I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I just think for reference point for our millennial and Generation Z listeners out there, you need to know that this was all prior to our family owning a microwave. We did not have a microwave. And we got an Apple II GS. This was cutting edge. This was a really big deal that we had this in our house. It was crazy. And I and I and then we had to unload all these boxes with this computer so that we could play Oregon Trail and Math Blasters. <laughs> I mean, it's just really hilarious to think back to. But what is such an awesome moment of pride for our parents, but just like a hilarious memory to think back to going to a store, getting all these boxes. P.S. This computer state of the art involved a disk drive. Millennials, mm-hmm. please just look up images Floppy of that on the internet. Discs. I it's unbelievable to think about how far technology has come so quickly. Oh yeah. And we had no idea at the time. I mean, there was no conscious intentionality of what was this going to bring to our life because we we had no paradigm to to even fathom the things we would be able to do with these devices as they grew but how hilarious and how old are we that we remember that moment 
Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has made you laugh, made you think, and helped you grow in your industrious life. Sisters, business, what can go wrong? Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Sisters of Industry. Join us weekly as Laura and Jen reflect on their shared upbringing and divergent life experiences to draw out lessons to help us all lead and live meaningful, industrious lives.